Hello and welcome back to the Able Lifestyle Podcast. Today we have my old gaffer, Jamie Lloyd-Davies. How are you, my friend? Delighted to be here, mate, and great to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on. It is really appreciated today. Um, why did you want to come on the podcast today? Well, as soon as I knew that you were involved, I knew it was going to have really high quality. And I can't thank you and the guests enough for all the amazing podcast episodes you've done already. They've made me laugh out loud. Some have made me cry. Some have made me think and reflect. Some have helped me to kind of adjust certain things in my life um, to help me to sort of change my perspective and give me some more direction. So, yeah, I'm grateful to you and everyone that's been involved for everything you've done because it's been absolutely life changing. So thank you all. Thank you so much for that reflection. It's uh, really appreciated again. And it's all about sort of feeling emotions and feeling everything that comes to your way. And I think that's trying to get the best out of this podcast by doing that. One thing I do want to ask you before we sort of start and get onto your journey, which has been amazing. What are you grateful for today? The first thing is my daughter, Myla. God, words can't describe how precious she is, how much purpose she's brought to my life, how much happiness she's brought to my life. Yeah, probably if there was one single point of gratitude yeah it would be my daughter Myla would you say that's a sort of one thing that gets you out of bed every morning yeah she's the reason why I want to be the best that I want to be in everything that I do so when she grows up she can be exactly like her daddy almost yeah yeah to an extent or feel like she has that same sense of purpose and direction with whatever she wants to achieve in her life um I know every parent has a level of bias but I'm so proud to have such a beautiful bright um funny little character that's my little bundle of joy um and whatever she wants to do in life i hope she goes on and achieves amazing things whatever those things are um so yeah that would be my single point of gratitude but i'm also grateful for my family my mum and dad um and i might confuse some viewers today because i'm blessed to have um had two dads in my life and yeah, so I'll go into that a little bit more detail later. My two brothers, um, so I've got one full brother, RD, who is 18 months younger than me. What a character. Such a lovely lad. Was diagnosed at two with quite complex autism. But when you see him now at like six foot three, big bushy beard, <laughs> cracking open a tin of cider and like even little things like shouting out answers whilst we watched a chase in an evening and stuff like i love the chase he, uh, it's the yeah, best program. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great program but he's like he's so bright and extremely quick-witted like oh he's such a character i've got my half-brother marcus and his family that i love dearly yeah i've got my football family that i'm so grateful for so everyone at southampton women's football club the sirens and we'll go into that a little bit more later i'm sure um even when we look at my time at swindon and the great, deep and meaningful friendships that I've got from my time there. Um, yeah, so much to be grateful for. So much to be grateful for. I wanted to start that today because I don't think people every day are actually appreciative and grateful for everything they do each day. Mm. I think we wake up with a sort of sense of entitlement that every day is just given to us and that should how it should be. Mm. So I sort of wanted to ask you what you're grateful for to not only help you reflect, myself reflect, but also everyone listening to have that sense of gratitude of, what are you grateful for today? Yeah. And that's something I want to really introduce into every episode to hopefully reinforce, you know, 
we are grateful and we should be that we get to see every day because some people unfortunately don't get that privilege which again something we'll touch on later down the sort of journey of your life i suppose yeah absolutely and it's it's such a powerful question as well and would certainly recommend all the listeners just whilst you're going through and listening to me waffling on really <laughs> start to delve into how grateful you are and what grateful things kind of you've got within your life that give you that that kind of motivation and drive to want to go and be the best that you can be and when times are tough how do you then use that as your fuel to reflect and start again so with your coaching journey we met through that and I always talk about everything happens for a reason because funnily enough you were at Swindon Town at the time I was at a local ladies club and you were the first team manager at the time the development squad were playing against my club and a week later, I got released from this club. I was absolutely devastated at the time. Thought, you know, that was the end of the world, end of my life, sort of worst thing that could happen to me. And then actually you got in contact not long longer later and asked if I wanted to come down to Swindon Town mm. and I had a fabulous couple of years down there. And like I say, everything happens for a reason. Mm. You, you know, you might not have wanted to watch that day. Mm. You couldn't have been there and then it wouldn't have kick-started my journey almost. Mm. So, Well, it's, it's a bizarre kind of scene of events really because that was the week after my dad passed. It's crazy to say you could have been grieving mm. of well, you, you yeah, were at the time. I, I was, yeah. But, but ultimately, like, I'm the sort of person to help cope with stuff. I have to immerse myself in something to help me to get through that situation. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, like, I still see that as a, a really positive twist of fate because I wouldn't have seen your positive demeanor on the sidelines, like what the way you were trying to get your girls to play. Um you know, the way that you were reacting to some of the challenges that you opposed. And ultimately that was what encouraged me to reach out was you and your personality. So yeah, I'm sat here opposite across the table because of how well you conduct yourself and how you, how you present yourself. So that's a massive kind of compliment to you and what, what you have to bring mate. So, and that was just a snapshot from 90 minutes of football. So yeah you know, our friendship's grown a lot since that point anyway. So and you've given me another opportunity recently, last year. Jeez, I'm losing track of time already. Yeah. It's Samantha Women's, which we'll touch on again. Um, but it just goes to show that even for your worst day, you're still trying to show kindness to other people and still mm. trying to give other people opportunities and make this world a better place, which is huge kudos to you, my friend. How did your coaching journey sort of begin? What sparked that? What was the reason for coaching? So similar to quite a lot of coaches I imagine up and down the country so quite a few not everybody because a lot have been successful players and gone on and had positive coaching journeys some have had less coach like positive coaching journeys but I'd see myself as a bit of a failed footballer to be honest like <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I was I was okay I had some fairly positive strengths but I don't think my drive to play was as much as it is to coach I feel like I've had lots of positive influences, but also some negative influences from my coaching journey. Um, so yeah, the moment that I saw that there was an opportunity for me to get involved in coaching, that was where I probably started prioritizing that part of my career a little bit more um, and sort of sacrificed the playing. And are there times where I reflect and go, maybe I gave up playing a bit too soon? Yeah, maybe, but I'm in the grand age of 35 now, so I'll be <laughs> I'll be due to be playing vets team football soon. So look forward to seeing you play play again one day. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a few of the kind of nicknames I used to give myself and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. But um, yeah, like I think that was probably where it started. But the first 
going back to that gratitude question you've got, um, someone who arguably changed my life was a guy called Alfie Archer. Okay. Um, him and his family, Cora and Josh. Wow, what incredible people. Um, yeah, I can't thank them enough for the difficult stage I was at with my life. Um, I I met these wonderful people, um, Alfie in the first instance and Josh because he played as well. But it was through Football to Salo, Brazilian soccer schools, which is another thing that we've got in common. Um, so I was down the wreck playing football with my, with my mates and I was hearing this wonderful samba music going on and it's no better feeling than playing football to samba music oh, no better no better feeling at all um and seeing the young kids that were having great fun practicing skills expressing themselves being guided and supported by probably you know in terms of group of people one of the single-handed most wonderful people that i've ever met um i then kind of stood and watched and he invited me to come in and, and join in just to kind of copy a few of the skills that they were doing, all that sort of stuff. Um, we then had a chat at the end. He then invited me along to come and be able to help coach the younger groups, but be involved in the older groups. And it that opened so many doors for me as a young person. It's um, seeing that potential in someone. It it's is. having that generosity and giving that person a chance because you just don't know what amazing things can come off the back of it. And just looking at your sort of CV, that is pure proof of, you know, you might not have been here today as such if it wasn't for that one kind act of generosity from that one guy. 100% and kind of accelerating through. And it, I feel like I'm not doing Alfie a, a full um, service here, but like the journey and the wonderful experiences that I had there, I got to play at the Millennium, Millennium Stadium um, through Football de Salo International Trials. So that was an incredible feeling. I was then offered to go up to Garforth because Simon Clifford, the guy who owned Football de Salo, also owned Garforth Town. Um, and they had a scholarship scheme where you could go up and study at college and go to university. And um, I got invited, but I declined because I had my plan set locally. I wanted to grow with Football de Salo. I wanted to go to college locally. And I had mates that were going on that journey with me and that kind of social circle was quite massive being that I'd probably really started building it around that time. Um, so felt like that was something that I sort of needed to do. So I think it's important to sort of touch on because a lot of people are so sort of career based and career driven, but they forget sort of about the, how important the social side is. Mm. A lot of people, and to be fair, a lot of successful people who have flew the nest, as you call it. I mean, if it works for them, fair enough to them. But I think it's also reflecting and saying, would I rather fly the nest and not have a social circle? Mm. Or would I rather just stay where I am, but continue to have that important base to grow from? Mm. And I think it's a really important sort of self-reflection to have. Yeah, definitely. And ultimately, I felt at that time, I had sort of discovered myself a little bit more. Was that the right time to then go and flee the nest, like you said, and kind of build another like social circle in somewhere that I don't know, with people I don't know, but you know, could have been an opportunity, might have led on to other opportunities, but ultimately, like, I'm totally grateful for everything that's got me to this sort of point now. If you feel you're not doing him a justice on this sort of podcast, telling how good he is, maybe it's worth texting him after this and just thanking him because mm. I'm sure there's a load of other people listening that have had opportunities given to them through others. If you know that person has given you the opportunity, text them and tell them because mm. there's a couple of people that have, for me, and I remind myself every so often to 
say to them, you know, if it won't be for you, I'll be here today as such doing mm. successful things. Yeah. So like I've done a lot of incredible things, but that wouldn't have come if it wasn't for others. Mm. So it's always reminding ourselves it's not always about us. It's actually about what others have done for us. And that might actually just make their day. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do need to go knock on his door and drop him a full can of Guinness because I know that <laughs> he, he rarely drunk, but I remember him having the old Guinness and stuff like that on a rare occasion. So, yeah, I think that would be my point of grat- gratitude. So. Alfie, expect a knock on the door if you're listening to <laughs> So do you think that sort of spearheaded your journey into coaching that sort of football to Salo? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he gave me more responsibility with being like the senior player in a younger group, supporting the players, giving them coaching tips, doing one-to-one coaching, all that sort of stuff, kind of discovering the nuances of coaching and working on smaller scale and larger scale sessions. Um, Were you still playing at this time? Yeah, I was, yeah. So I was... Um, I was only 15 at this point. Still very so young. So I was still very young, still just about to enter my journey into senior football. Because that's when I started my coaching journey as well at 15, yeah. which is, again, anyone else listening, but like, it's a bit young, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And he, he gave me the opportunity to go on my level one. So he paid for my level one. I went and did that in, um, in Swindon, had a great time, met another couple of really, really key people um, that sort of have had small steps in my journey to help me to be where I am now. So one was Jeremy Nash, um, was one of the, one of the tutors. Um, and wow, what a character Nasher is. I think he's still working with Southampton, um, on their scouting, on their scouting network, but yeah, what an incredible guy. I'm not sure he knows how grateful I am for the small parts that he's played, but yeah, he was another person that was really positive. Um, I'd stayed with football, the Salo for probably a year after that. And I believe Alfie sort of, um, cause he had lots of different sort of ventures going on at the time. I believe that, um, football to Salo had sort of been something that he had sold on as a franchise, for example. Um, so yeah, essentially that, if I hadn't have had that time now, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. So yeah, totally grateful to Alfie. Cause I say to a lot of footballers as well, go and coach because it will actually make you a better player. Because mm. when I started sort of coaching, I was playing wasn't any worldly player by any means, but I noticed a massive difference from sort of going from just a, a local kid to a, a greater local, local kid, yeah. should we say. Yeah. And I noticed a massive difference because if you can break it down for someone else, someone that's younger for you, it actually becomes a lot easier for yourself subconsciously. And it also builds your character, so much confidence that you can gain from that and just sort of that self-development and also going out your comfort zone. If you can teach these things from a young age, it spirals very quickly as you start to get older. And I think it's so important to have that self-development and doing that thing that sort of takes you out of your comfort zone. I don't quite think enough people do it because they're too scared to. Yeah. Um, so you started coaching and where's, where was your next move after sort of football to Salo? Oh, wow. Now I'm having to delve into my reflections now. Um, what sort of key traits, should we say, did you learn from that moment in time? Expression. Because ultimately... Football was arguably my safe space constantly, but I didn't truly know how to embrace that creativity that was within me. Um, I (laughs) have no shame in sort of saying this, but when I was younger, I felt like I wanted to mould my game on like a David Beckham. Always had quite a good eye for a longer pass, you know, quite good crosser of the ball and all that sort of stuff. Um, Pretty good at set pieces. So like ultimately like, he was sort of a player and role model that I looked up to, but rather than sort of being like a touch go with the ball in, 
in tight situations or facing an opponent 1v1, I didn't really have many tools in my armory to be able to go and beat a player. So that helped me to develop the confidence and the skill base to be able to go and do that. So that was probably a massive influence that that had on me as a player, um, as a person. Yeah, that time with Alfie, you know, and Josh. Um, yeah, I was a lost young lad. So they gave me direction and purpose. And I felt like I was always welcomed with open arms with their family and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, totally grateful for what they gave to me. So both as a player and a person, that's something that in the footballing environment, everyone strives for is to help the person as much as the player. And yeah, they did that in absolute mountains. So yeah, so grateful. Where did your journey to Swindon Town Woman sort of start? Where where was your foot in the door into women's <laughs> football? Was that the foot in the door? Was there any prior experience before that? Yeah, there was. So I was very grateful to um, start my women's coaching journey at Wiltshire FA PDC it was at the time, which is almost like on the women's football pyramid, that's like the county and RTC sort of level, what it would be now. But I started coaching goalkeepers there. So I had got my goalkeeping level two. That was one of my first coaching gigs in coaching goalkeepers alongside um, another great development centre, which is in the JPL called FC Wiltshire. Um, so Alex Pillinger got me in there. Um, and that was where sort of, I guess if you were to consider like what the football world looks like, that step out of grassroots into, if we were looking at it from like a senior point of view, sort of like... A higher standard almost. Yeah, like a, a higher standard to grassroots. Because um, that ACC sort of setup is so important. And mm. I've seen it first and the impact it can have on players, not mm. only as performance based, but also as a sort of personal base because it's a very daunting place to go to. However, yet it's still got that professional side and also that human side where they understand that this is the next step for them and they're going to be very nervous and they give them time and patience. Mm. And I think it's so important to actually be patient with these players through this journey because mm. it's a long journey. You can't just pick it up just like that click of a finger. Mm. I think it takes time to mould players and to not only better players, but actual human beings. Because that, in for performance reasons, is how you get the best out of a player. You can't just make them technically and make them a footballer. You've got to make them a person as well. Yeah. Because it, it comes hand in hand, I think. Absolutely. Um, sort of skipping out some of the other bits of the journey, because I'm sure we'll go through that a little bit later on. I went into kind of grassroots boys football, working with um, Countdown Under 18s. Um, I then went back into women's and girls by going back to what was then the ACC. Um, and I was under 16's head coach for the girls. Um, so again, massive thanks to Tim Hall. And he's another person that's had lots of different kind of, um, points of reference in my journey so another guy that I'm totally grateful for top top man he's, oh, he's he given me he's given me opportunities for the ACC before and just a smashing bloke yeah absolutely um then I went and coached with the senior rep side so that's essentially looking at all of the grassroots teams locally picking out the best players and going and representing the county so that was another great opportunity for me to have so in terms of women's and girls like yeah really really sort of grateful for those steps I was a part of establishing what was then FC Cowan ladies. So with my full-time role at the time, I was like football development officer for the local council. 
and a part of the provision was working towards a national game strategy. We needed to increase the amount of women and girls that were participating. Um, FC Count at the time didn't have any girls teams, but had loads of girls playing throughout the age groups. And then we decided that it would be best to work with Derry Hill United, which had a fantastic youth set up for boys and girls, um, but started to kind of be able to connect the two in some way. Um, and that was sort of at the top of the pyramid where FC Cowan Ladies was then was then born. So I was a part of establishing that, um, along with a guy called Chris Savile again, like in terms of grassroots heroes, what an amazing guy, like the amount of different jobs that he had within Derry Hill United and um, the amount of lives that he had impacted. Yeah, another really amazing person. So you've gone through a lot of sort of coaches and mentors through this time. And even if you take 1% away from all these people, it certainly adds up quickly. Mm. And you build your sort of own character through these others. Then you, you put your own spin on it and actually you become this amazing person. Mm. So where did the sort of Swindon town side start for you? So I had not long left the academy. So I was lead academy goalkeeping coach um, for Swindon. You know, being a, a boyhood fan of the club and kind of will relate to this a little bit later on, but me and my granddad being massive fans of the club and going and watching it. and um, Almost like a dream come true, like was, a privilege to be in that setup. It was. And to represent the badge. Yeah, absolutely. And then when we talk about the incredible people that, I've got to be grateful for in that part of the journey. So um, Dean Thornton, who's now first team goalkeeping coach at Southampton FC um, with Russell Martin. Um, so he was the one that kind of pushed me towards Jeremy Newton, who was the academy manager at the time. So another person to be grateful for is Nutty. And I think he's, I think he's at Southampton working with the under 15s, I believe. Um, I might be wrong. So sorry, Nutty, if I've <laughs> quoted that wrong. Um, I didn't have the pleasure of working with Alan McLaughlin. Another person who, yeah, absolutely changed my life. Like when we talk about a mentor or a role model, um, he generally cared about people. Um, and that's from my relationship that I had with him. Um, and God rest him now, he's no longer here with us. Um, and that, that loss hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, Someone you looked up to for sure. Oh, massively. And once he became academy manager, we would spend most Saturday mornings in the front of a minibus together, traveling to games and kind of in the fortunate position that we would be kind of located between two pitches normally adjacent to each other or kind of parallel to each other. So and he spent a lot of time spent together. Spent a lot of time. He opened my eyes to the game um, and essentially what made him an international player, played at you know arguably the highest level played in two world cups like you know represented loads of clubs um predominantly throughout the southwest um but yeah to gain so much insight around people and then people within the game was instrumental and he did have a ruthless side he was old school in his in his kind of values and the way that he wanted things to be done but you sort of have to when you get to that level, though. Oh, that's without what, a doubt. That's what makes and breaks these players yeah, and separates them from the best. Yeah, definitely. And the amount of people that I'm sure would be kind of lining up to kind of emphasise the importance that Maka played on their life would would be hundreds and thousands. Like, the guy was amazing. You know, another person, um, Lee Peacock. So, again, 
being a Swindon Town fan and seeing him pull on the shirt and I didn't have the pleasure of working with him. Um, Again, almost like a dream come true for you. Oh yeah, massively. And like, you know, even little things like not just sharing like the training pitch and getting his insight and kind of clawing upon his knowledge of the game, but like what a great guy off the pitch. Um, You know, even when it comes to like Christmas socials and all that sort of stuff, like when you, when you know the guy and you see that he wears these big, bright, vibrant kind of, funky pattern shirts like that was the guy that he was he was well was i'm talking past tense he's, <laughs> he's but yeah like he's fully like yeah just such a kind of positive personality so yeah another one that would be instrumental to my journey i think that's what gives a greater impact is regardless of how high you've gone in your field or how successful you've been it's actually still to have that humane side and that sort of generous side to actually connect with people on a human aspect because a lot of people see celebrities and people that have gone on to do successful things as sort of this halo, should we say. Yeah. And it's almost like they're untouchable and you can't go near them. Mm. But actually, a lot of them are just human beings and they will connect if mm. you give them time and give them chance and don't just go for them for their sort of celeb side. It's actually get to know on the personal level. And I think that's what really separates these sort of high-end sort of individuals is the greats that actually leave a lasting impact, which I'm sure Maka did. Yeah, um, absolutely. In the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll relate back to Maka when we go through kind of another stage of my journey because, you know, that's something that needs kind of some real focus on it in itself. But um, so many other people at the club, you know, in terms of coaching staff and support staff that were incredible there. You know, Sean Wood deserves a mention, like he's now youth team coach. So he manages the under 18s. Like the journey he's been on has been great. And another guy that got a lot of insight from. So, kind of I'm I'm digressing but I'd left the academy because I had got a full-time lecturing role within a local college um and felt like because I was doing that and my teacher training that I needed to dedicate my time to that it's all about prioritization oh yeah massively massively and it wasn't that I was putting a, a stop to the coach and it was more if I'm to kind of give this the best chance of sort of being on a dual career and if football doesn't work out then I sort of need to have something that I need to fall back on and education was that well is that and was that for me at the time um and just to point out I'd had five failed applications for the women's job at Swindon really yeah prior yeah a lot of Um, rejection then yeah there was yeah but there wasn't kind of ever that bitterness around not getting it I clearly wasn't you know, at the right point at those times to get it. And ultimately, like, when I look at what that journey did for me, I wouldn't be sat in a situation now being on my UEFA license if it wasn't for that perfect timing of getting a role at that time. What do you think that rejection done for you in those five times? Of course it hurts because every level of rejection hurts, whether it's like your first kiss on the playground at school or (laughs) wherever it's like, you know, whatever it is, like any rejection has a bit of an impact to start off with, but then it's how you then use that as a fuel to kind of drive you on even more. It's something I was talking to someone about yesterday and there's something called a hundred days of rejection Mm -hmm. and it's brutal, Mm. but you literally try and get rejected for a hundred days. So it's going into like a coffee shop and asking for a free coffee because you know the barista behind the bar is going to say no. Mm. But 
you realize after these hundred days you're still alive yeah hopefully <laughs> <laughs> you're still alive like you've been rejected a hundred times mm. it's actually all right it's yeah. not as bad as you think it's going to be exactly and it teaches you that still edge that still character going you know rejection is just one of those things as part and parcel of life and the better you deal with it the more fully your life becomes mm. so i think it's important that that rejection happen for you to make you the character you are today yeah definitely and yeah ultimately like to get a phone call from the chairman martin wheeler after having the interview process and seeming like everything went really well and being told that i was now manager of swindon town women was what did that feel like oh amazing it did bring me to tears like purely on the basis of again like such a huge step it is a huge step but it's also like going back through all those stages and how much the club meant to me throughout all of my time growing up and you know the times that I was stood next to my grandpa in the town and watching watching the hundreds of games that we had watched and you know like sort of like I guess like a bit of a deja vu moment where you kind of like accelerate through all that time and then like wow I'm here like pinch me oh yeah massively massively <laughs> I was soon brought down to reality when we turned up to um the secretary school that we trained at and we didn't have access to any goals we had the grass wasn't cut it was really long because it was during the summer jumpers for goalposts jumpers for goalposts <laughs> yeah we had like eight footballs amongst what was it 21 players that we had at the time for both first and reserve team um like 10 bibs a stack of cones that were odds and sods from various different stacks of cones and all that sort of stuff and because you got the job at Swindon Town and again you look at Swindon Town like the professional outfit it is but becoming part of that coaching staff I realized oh wow this is a transition phase mm. we are up against it yeah absolutely but um I was so lucky to have amazing people around me that want to drive the club forward and to help it to take the steps that it needed to to be professionalized um although they're still not quite at the professionalized stage at the moment um they're on a kind of trajectory I think from the back of what we had implemented as the foundations for that which you know Keelan my assistant and close friend is going to get probably one of the biggest shout outs because what a man what yeah what a man like as a person like yeah it's so hard to put into words because the guy's aura is just absolutely amazing um he's a calm in the storm he is massively very strategic in his planning um in the way that he does things in his thought process the greatest people person i've ever met oh without a doubt without and a doubt the one thing i took away from him was like always back each other yeah always back your coaches yeah always have each other's backs regardless of whether you're in the right or wrong yeah have each other's Stick backs together and have that conversation after and yeah we we did that a lot throughout our two spells together um which yeah that you know i'm so grateful to him and everything that he had taught me and what i'd learned about myself what i'd learned about me as a manager what i learned about me as a coach even as a friend because he's probably one of my closest friends that i've got and i know that no matter what i can drop him a text or give him a call and He's always, always there, always inviting me around for dinner and, a, you know, a chat, you know, Ali, his wife, another amazing human being and they're beautiful boys, all four of them, because they've got two, two, <laughs> two human children and two dog children as well. Bit um, wild. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, 
but yeah, a wonderful family. And How important is it to have those people around, especially in that sort of transitional phase and those tough moments? How important is it to have that support structure around you? Instrumental because like when I look at kind of how quickly our friendship evolved, like we were on the phone all the time. Like you're in a group chat when you had joined and you saw how manic it was. It was from dawn till dusk. It yeah. was It's like you literally leave the phone for an hour. It's like, oh, 450 messages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't just on that basis, but like even when it comes to things like he was one of the first five people that I called to let know that my dad had passed. Um, Eden said, look, tomorrow night, me and you, we'll go out for a beer, we'll go play some pool, we'll take your mind off it and have a chat. What um, a man. Yeah, what a man. And that was the night that, um, was it Leicester that beat Saints like 7? 9 nil. 9-0, whatever it was, yeah. So it was during that time. Um, it's amazing how you remember these such specific things in your worst of times. Oh, well, you'll find out because the next part was arguably one of the next steps of the worst of times as well. I'm, I might be jumping forward a little bit, but that was the night that I'd received a WhatsApp message from my wife at the time saying that she had found someone else. She had been seeing them for a little while and that the marriage was over. So like, I yeah. bet it almost felt like the world was against you. Why is this happening to me? A little bit. When you put it into perspective, that was the day after my dad died. Yeah. But then it also then brought it into perspective where you're like, the marriage side of things or the divorce side of things was so insignificant. Like, I'm never, ever going to be able to look my dad in the eye and tell him I love him again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So when you look at that, there's like so many things to be grateful for. But he was the guy that picked me up off the floor. He was the guy that took me home. Like, you know, like all of the support that he gave me throughout what was like a really difficult like probably six months on the back of that um yeah i can't put it into words how yeah amazing it is so it's, it's incredible such a perspective to have that you've just been sort of divorced or left from your wife at the time but it's almost irrelevant because you don't see your dad again mm, yeah and to anyone else listening they might go that's mental but mm when you really put it in the grand scheme of things, you go blank sheet, sort of blank canvas. Mm. Everything's irrelevant mm. because yeah. you've just lost almost the most important person in your life. Yeah. And what a perspective that is to take away. Cause it almost, I sat here and I was like, Whoa, that was deep. Yeah. Like that's power. I felt that. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's hard because like, yeah, again, probably jumping into the story a little bit more, but when I considered literally two days before me and my dad were, well, I was by my dad's bedside because he was um, on end of life care in his own room. Um, There's nothing that prepares you for that moment. No. it's You know what's coming, the inevitable is coming, but you can't prepare for that, can you? Yeah, especially the false sense of security where ultimately he like perked up. So like he was sat up, he was laughing, he was smiling. He said, Jay, stick some music on. <laughs> I was like, all right, dad, I've got Spotify open. Like, what do you want? And he went, um, Hotel California by the Eagles. And nice. you're seeing him like with every bit of strength that he had was like doing the air drums and singing along. And like, literally, like, I think those three or four moments were like some key memories that I've got of the final days of, of dad being around like in so kind of comes to terms with that yeah so important massive. to hold on to that yeah absolutely to, especially in your hedon journey yeah to have those positive memories is something that will keep driving you forward and keep reminding you why you're on this journey mm. and i think it goes to show the character you are the fact that your dad is literally on his quote deathbed 
and he's there playing the air drums and you know playing the air guitar and just being the greatest guy and the mm. most happy character and yeah i can definitely see that in you so i can definitely see that's sort of rubbed off on you and that's the character you've become so you're mm. almost keeping your dad's legacy alive through you and your actions which yeah. what sort of impact did that have on your life That's a good question. Um, it's had a massive impact in the sense of, I don't know, when I reflect on like childhood and stuff and like obviously on the back of that, I've been speaking with mum about like times that we'd have growing up and stuff and, you know, had some good times when growing up. Um, in terms of like key standout memories from those times, there are obviously some, but um, not that many that sort of, take me back to that moment it was more when I became kind of an adult um I went through like the teenage stage of no I don't want to go and see dad because I'm out with my mates like yeah and for that I feel, cool. yeah for that I feel quite sad that I sort of got to that point but do you feel guilty for that at all would you say um not guilty because again like when you're that sort of age like priorities do change don't they and yeah, it doesn't mean that I didn't love my dad it just meant that like my social circle was quite important at that stage um you also don't appreciate the sort of value that your parents have and how, you know, life is so short. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about it from that sort of age, say again, from like 14, 15, if I'd have thought I've got 15, 16 years left of my dad being on this earth, I might have made a different decision. But again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? it certainly is. You, but, talk, you talk about your childhood. If you mm -hmm. could go back to your childhood, what's mm -hmm. one thing you do again? wouldn't be such of an ungrateful little toe rag i think like <laughs> i love how honest that answer yeah, is and, and i mean that with like when i talk about mum and dad that is mum and who would technically be classed as my stepdad but like the way that i see that is a man that comes into your life and has a choice to love you and to give you everything that he's got like that's the sign of a true man and I felt like I was never grateful enough for what dad brings me, even in my life now, like so much kind of insight and st like stability and support, like one of the most genuinely kind guys you'd ever meet. And he had a choice, but the choice that he made was to love me and my brother with everything that he's got and treat us as his own. And that for me is one of the, biggest and having the most loving caring and supporting mum ever like yeah I can't put into words she's not just my mum she's my best friend like everything that I kind of all of the happy times being able to celebrate that with her like her seeing me get married even though that turned to crap but like still an experience seeing that an experience had. that I yeah. had her by my side and her signing my papers as a witness and her holding Myla for the first time and seeing her as a granny now, like so special. Oh, mate, it's it's incredible and like it it brings emotion to me now because I would be nothing without those two people. Like they are absolutely everything in my life. I'm so so appreciative of everything they do. Even like you know, obviously I won't go into the situation I'm going into in depth now, but I'm back at home living with mum and dad and like having their thirty four, nearly thirty five year old son at home when. I'd always been independent and kind of I kind of went independent quite early on in my adult years and like I think before this time I'd only spent like a month at home 
um, during that period of time. It's so quite like, a huge change. Oh, massively. And for them to just take me in with open arms and... It says a lot about that character. Oh, massively. And But again, like, mum will always say, you're my baby, I'll always do anything for you. And the same, like, you know, I hope mum knows that that would be the exact same. And I feel like when I talk about that kind of being more appreciative of what I'd had growing up, I'm only really starting to see that now as an adult in how much my parents have sacrificed for me. Like, and I feel quite guilty with that because it's been like thousands of pounds in debts that they've helped cleared. It's lots of kind of setbacks that they've given me a hug from. It's lots of, lots of trauma and grief that I've gone through that they've, been there supporting me and helping me to see a different perspective like they're the constant you can rely on oh constant. and the safety blanket they always give you a cuddle yeah exactly and like a recent experience that i had i all i had to do was walk through the door mum looked at my face and she jumped up and ran over and gave me a hug and mum's no don't they? oh without a doubt and <laughs> you can't lie to them ever and dad was sort of hovering around behind that ready to give the next one like yeah you can't i can't well i can only say how thankful i am that i have yeah amazing parents like that to help with everything that goes on in life you know celebrate the successes with me and kind of help me with all of the failures and setbacks so so important yeah, to have those characters yeah, above so you lucky. to sort of float about and to help you put your armor back on yeah absolutely when you're feeling down absolutely what sort of do you that event you went through of losing your dad how has it affected you today and do you recognize that in yourself today and why um Obviously, there have been a lot of emotions based on like recording memories, like certain songs that I can't listen to because they trigger like um, like an intense emotion. But they're also kind of signs of his spirit being around. And I've only really started to feel this over the last sort of year. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story around this because I feel like it's an important one. So one of my best mates, Steve. Um, Steve Roberts, Scuba, love you, mate. I'm, yeah, honestly so thankful I've got you back in my life. But we became best mates at college um, all the way through like our early adult years. He then found the partner, got married, um, went through some difficult times of his own. We sort of parted ways a little bit. It happens. Um, and then this is the single kind of strangest twist of fate ever. So after we've kind of gone through the celebration of dad's life, um, and dad's kind of laid at rest at Bath Memorial Garden, um, which is just a stone's throw from where he got married from his wife, the widow, um, Tracy. Um, uh, but before we went back there, we decided to go to the garage to grab, like, I think I needed some, like, a soft drink and some chewing gum or just something just to clear my head and kind of help me to kind of step out of that stage I was at with kind of grieving dad again and uh my partner at the time walked into the garage and my brother went in with her and um he said to her is his name Ryan like he, I wouldn't ever say that because he's RD and I'll explain that in a little while but um she went yeah why oh well I was best mates with his brother and she was like oh he's in the car He's literally got like two of those trays that you have at Tesco's with produce on. He's dropped them and sprinted out, knocked on the door. <laughs> um, and talk about surreal moments. I burst into tears. I opened the door, ran around to him, gave him the biggest hug. Like talk about 
massive twists of fate. Like that was probably up there in, I probably couldn't put it in an order, but in one of the best moments that I'd had in my life on the back of one of the most difficult. Do you see what I mean? It yeah. was very, very bizarre. Um, it's sort of the rainbow and the storm. Oh yeah, massively. And he's gone through like a, a cycle of, he's become very spiritual. I was going to ask you, do you believe in something more? Yeah, Maybe not necessarily from a religious aspect, mm. but of a spiritual sort of some kind. Yeah, I would say that if I had an active faith, it would be spirituality now. And that's only been something that's quite new. Because um, I'm certainly trying to lean, lean into or discover is probably the best word. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of sort of feelings and emotions and thoughts, I'd say. Mm. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's religious as such. Mm. I say there's an idea of religion. Mm. However, there's got to be something more. Yeah. I'm just trying to work out what the hell yeah, that is. Absolutely. and Because there's too many coincidences that have been happening. Yeah. And when you start to do good things and you have that good karma, the good karma keeps happening. And these good things keep rolling in. Yeah. And I'm like, this can't just be coincidence. I'm just being a good human being. And these things are coming off the back of it. Mm. There's got to be something that's been declaring this for me. Yeah, absolutely. And... I feel like you're in a perfect place to start exploring that now on the back of the loss of, of your, your dear mum. And I feel like people only really engage with that level of connection through loss and grief. Um, I'll give you some examples. And I shared this with some of my students um, recently. Um, but one of the first signs that I'd had of that was I was in Sweden at the time, just in a random shopping mall in Boros, which is the like the nearest city from where I was staying. Incredible country. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful country. Um, absolutely beautiful country. And um, just out shopping, probably at a little bit of a low point in my life. And a sign came to me, right? And it was through the song that, the single song that takes me to my dad, which is The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. And if no one's heard of it, have a listen to some of the lyrics and... There's a lyric in there where it talks about um, not being able to see the look in my newborn baby's eyes. And Get that's you. something that relates me to dad. Because although he saw me get married, unfortunately, he was on oxygen. Not, not that he was still there and present, which was a beautiful thing to have him there. But, you know, he wasn't his fit, fit bubbly self. Like, would have been have. alive for the party. Yeah. Like, um, but he was still there and I'm grateful that he got to share that experience with me. But the fact that he's not been there since the birth of Milo is obviously a tough thing to have. Um, but ultimately, like when that came on, I was like, wow, this is a sign of something. And that led to kind of a key stage of sort of, I guess, trauma. What kind of I won't go into too much around that. But would you say it sort of kickstarted your healing journey as such? It did, but it was a sharp reality into what was to come. So when it came to that and knowing what I was then going to be going through was sort of like a massive shock in itself. But I felt that that was dad sending a sign to me almost if he could verbally say, Jay, it's going to get tough, but I love you. Just grit your teeth and get through it and everything will be okay. I thought that that would be the sort of message that he was sending to me. Um, that's literally just sent shivers down my spine you yeah. might see my shoulders go back yeah, there I, I was like oh yeah, yeah. that's um yeah um so another one was um the next sort of major trauma based on grief was the loss of my granddad um because that again was at time at swindon wasn't it yeah it was yeah so towards my the end of my time at swindon really 
Um, if you speak to my mum, she would openly say, every day you would wake up and go, I want to go Papa's house. <laughs> or we'd, we'd be out on a day out or off to go and do something, whether it's shopping or whatever, and I'd see Gramps' car drive by and I'd go, pop, pop, and I'd make a massive great big deal about it. So mum would have to have a massive sigh and chase after him <laughs> in the car and pull him over and I'd have to get in the popper's car and spend some time in the garden doing some gardening or playing football or such an doing influ influential coloring. character on oh, you. Oh massively, say. massively and like yeah, when you look at the type of man and I it's hard because I'm very much I love my music. Um and not long before Gramps had died, Mum had shared that the song that she had that was the connection with her and Gramps was The Wonder of You by Elvis Presley. And that's another song that unless I'm prepared to have that emotion or to go into that, I guess it's sort of like... It's having that self-awareness. Yeah. If like, this is going to hurt, but it's okay. Yeah. But it's almost like, I feel like, and it's it kind of, I guess, links into that spirituality thing. It's like, almost if I feel like I'm going to go into this space where... I sort of lose an element of consciousness and feel like I'm in a bit of a dream and I have to sit in that and kind of embrace that emotion to be able to get another connection with him. So it's very, very strange. People might think I'm so like bonkers and bizarre for saying it, but when you start to see these pieces of the puzzle sort of come together, you then go, mm, yeah, actually that does make sense. It's like, I need to explore this. I don't know where the hell I'm going, yeah. but there's something there that I need to look into and discover. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Steve has helped me to do massively. And he's shared some really sort of deep stuff and stuff that he didn't even know about, by the way. And I'll delve into that a little bit more later. Um, but before Gramps had died, um, he had not long moved into his own little residential unit, uh, his flat. And um, I'd just been accepted onto the A licence. And... If anyone knows, it's like three and a half grand. It's a lot of money. So um, knowing how supportive he was of me, I went and knocked on the door and had a conversation to tell him. Um, and he asked me to sit down next to him, put his hand on my hand as I was sat next to him. And he said, I want to pay for it for you. Wow. I want to set you up for, for you and your family's future. Like, this is something your daughter's going to be proud of for you eventually. And like, you what might moment. feel the emotion in my voice now by talking about it. Um, I can see it. <laughs> but yeah, it's that like, not just the financial, like money side of things, like just as a man, like what a man, the, just the kindness, the humor. He's such a dry witted man. Like, but was like, the humility very, almost. Yeah, yeah. But also like very cheeky with it as well. So like, it's hard. Cause you like consider like, dry humor being like one end of the scale and cheeky being the other but he had both um impressive skill to have for sure yeah a massive heart um i bet it was such a special insight. moment for you yeah to have him sit you down mm. and say to you because you're going there to tell him the news of how proud you are of yourself and how proud mm. you hope he is of you mm -hmm. and then he breaks that news to you i bet you're like i'm on cloud nine yeah and absolutely. it's also like i don't know how to feel either yeah because it's a bit overwhelming and the difficulty is i only had like three months after that to tell him how much i loved him and how grateful i was because that was the year that he passed away um so yeah when you reflect on all those things that happen in such a short stint of time that's it's a lot for someone is, to go through yeah it is a tough thing but i'm i'm obviously not grateful that i've lost him but i'm grateful that i had such amazing times and have such fond memories of him because 
yeah, in terms of the biggest male influence, I'd say that it's probably him. Like ever since like I could walk and talk, it was always popper and wanting to be around Gramps and all that sort of stuff. And like, yeah, just being able to reflect on those memories is, is beautiful. Because when anyone ever asked me about you, I always say he's the most kindest and caring man in football you could ever meet. Oh, like Mr. You, Mr. Golden hearted. Oh, and listen to you. you talk about your Gramps, your, your papa. Mm. I can see you get that from him. Yeah. So again, you, we talk about his legacy. You're keeping his legacy going through your actions and who you are as a person. Yeah, I hope so. so. And I hope he's looking down proud, even if I don't get to achieve whatever I want to achieve in my career. Like I hope that just the steps that I've gone through is enough to have made him proud. Um, Every yeah. single day you're trying though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're moving forward absolutely. and pursuing and I'm sure you'll achieve greatness just because you're consistent and you continue to show up even when things get tough. Yeah, and I hope that's the case. And thank you so much for the kind words, mate. But kind of linking this back into like the spirituality side of things. So the Christmas just gone. Um, was at mum and dad's. And uh, we were outside. Mum and dad were having a smoke and I was having a vape because unfortunately I'm a bit of a vapor at the moment. <laughs> um, but I was sat down on Gramps' bench Right. So that was Gramps's bench that he had in his garden. Um, and I was sat down there. So there's a bit of a symbolic kind of moment with this because it's kind of two sort of concrete kind of, I guess, decorative stones yeah. that have like a bench on the top. And there's a robin on both. I'm not even joking when I say this to you. A robin flew down and sat next to me on that bench. Wow. Yeah, which I think was a sign. Gramps sending some sort of message to me. Um, so yeah, that was another sort of element of that spirituality. And then the final one was going back to Steve. He was coming back down to see his dad. He lives in like a place near where we live. And um, he said, oh, I'm popping down. Do you mind if I drop in? I was like, oh, absolutely. And he came in and he's part of the family anyway. Um, so after a couple, like a a sip of a bottle of beer. We shared a moretti each. And I said, would your dad mind if you stayed? He went, nah, probably not. So he gave him a call and said that, like, look, we're just having a catch up. I'm going to stay here, kipped on the sofa bed, whatever. Um, but we started speaking about the spirituality. And um, he's so in tune with it all. Like, it's so fascinating, but also so scary how true this stuff is, right? And uh, we'd had a couple of discussion about a few other people a couple of people that have been mentioned but i said to him are there any other sort of connections that something is trying to make contact with me and bearing in mind we'd never spoken about this before so he'd sat back closed his eyes put his hands on his legs focused on his breathing and he said i hear a little boy's voice i was like right and he goes he said hi daddy wow it's oscar right and I like shiver, right? Because that was what me and my ex-wife were going to call our baby if it was a boy because she lost a baby through an ectopic pregnancy. Jesus. So when you hear that sort of stuff, like, and that's the power of the man, like, like, yeah, like he wouldn't have, we'd never spoken about it. Like the only thing that he knew about me being married was when we were going through that difficult time, he kindly declined because of what was going on with him and I hold no judgment over that by the way because that was just where our friendship was at but I feel like we're back at a point where it's a really strong friendship again now like 
he's like a brother to me. Like, um, but for him to go through that, and like he was exhausted after because some of the stuff like he was going on for like minutes and minutes talking through stuff about it's a lot. Yeah, to talk about oh massive. But, and to some people, it might sound absolutely mental, but until you start to open your mind to these prospects and these ideas, they start to make sense in some weird way. Mm. And weirdly enough, at the time that you picked me up at Swindon Town, must have been weeks prior, I lost my granddad in hospice to mm. cancer. Mm. And we talked about the spirit, spirituality and them contacting us. Mm. I remember I woke up one morning and I remember I having a dream the night before. My granddad was sat on the end of the bed having a conversation with me, telling me it's going to be okay. Mm. and then because I was really struggling through that time mm. I went and got help off the back of that mm. and it's just like that couldn't have been a chance I've just woken up and went I spoke to my granddad last night mm. I pictured him at the end of my bed sat there yeah. facing me yeah and then I've gone and done something positive off the back of that mm. there's got to be something more to this yeah absolutely and it's so interesting you say that because I saw that in my dad's eyes when I was seeing him take his last breaths so um we had the, I think it's a chaplain they call him, like a religious person coming in and kind of reading. Giving like their last final rites. Final rites and yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, and he was encouraging us to say, Dad, it's okay to go. Like, you're at peace. It's safe to go. Like, we're all here. We love you sort of stuff. And Dad was sort of led back and looking just with his eyes up to the left corner of the room, right? And I was thinking, obviously I was holding his hand and like, talking to him as I was doing this and I just kept looking up in the corner and I sort of like it seems bizarre but I had this vision that it was granddad who was dad's dad that I never met unfortunately um was sort of giving him like what we'd see in films like the guidance to go it's okay like son let go like yeah. it's okay you'll be safe and all that sort of stuff and like it was only in like sort of recent months that I reflected on that and think wow actually that that was very symbolic of what spirituality is and I don't know how how convinced I am of it all or where it all sort of sits in place but it's something that I definitely feel strongly about um it's almost trying not to say no to anything and ask mm. him why mm. and what the possibility of these thoughts are yeah absolutely. and it's just being open-minded to all these ideas and craziness almost mm. to try and put together a puzzle that shouldn't be put together yeah absolutely and it's just being almost self-aware of why these things might be happening mm. because no one will really ever know the answer mm. but for our own almost healing and self-journey and self-discovery it might actually push us onto something more positive yeah absolutely and i think that's that's the important thing to take from it is you might not know if or when you get that connection what might be in the horizon for you based on that connection but being open to it will give you a level of comfort and direction and support all at the same time so it's it's a really sort of powerful thing to really kind of connect with really because it's like everything i'm doing at the minute i'm almost trying to say to myself or discover that i had to lose my mum to be made aware of what life is to mm. actually try and make a difference and an impact going mm. forward yeah and it's almost trying to say to myself, that's absolutely mental. What are you going on about? Yeah. But it's also a harsh reality as well. And it's, yeah, it's just being aware that these things might actually be something. Yeah. They might not. Yeah. But it's just trying to put together, like I say, the puzzle that might it shouldn't be put together. Mm. I'm going to pose it back to you. Have you had any sort of connections with mum on the back of her past and then you thinking of these sorts of things? I wouldn't say anything directly. Mm. 
I definitely say that I'm almost morphing into her mm. in some degree. Mm. It's something I'm really struggling with because, like I said about my granddad and speaking to him yeah. when he after he passed, I don't feel I've had that with my mum yet, mm. and it's almost like trying not to be kicking myself like gutted mm. that I haven't had that with her yet. Mm. But every minute of the day that I'm trying to help someone else, which is what she did, mm. things keep spiraling into better things. Mm. So maybe that's a message. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, us having conversations about your mum even before she'd passed and stuff, like knowing the amount of kind of light she brought into people's lives and positivity she brought to everybody. Like you've always been that sort of character anyway, where you're, you're positive mindset and positive thinking and all that sort of stuff. But the fact you're taking these additional steps to do that as well is probably, yeah, a mark of, respect for mum and the love that you've got for her and carrying that legacy on and don't feel like you've got to search for that because I know you're sort of exploring the thoughts around that as well but it will come to you at a time when you really need it and when we reflect on those things we think oh yeah well I really needed it then it's like no 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 just prepare that there could be more things whether it's a positive thing that you need a final push for you could be doing your ultra marathon you could be struggling for your last four or five miles or whatever and that could be mum coming to you and giving you that bit of energy to just get you through it like you know I'm obviously hypothesizing but like there are going to be things in the future that will give you that power as such and a support that's such a I, I'm struggling to find the words to say to be honest yeah. so thank you for preaching that question that idea and that thought to me because it's really sort of empowered me mm. and enlightened me I'd probably say is the right words yeah it's tr again, just trying to find the right words to say. So I'm just going to ask the next question while yeah. I try and gather my thoughts. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> What's the advice of someone going through grief? I know there's not one shoe that fits all mm. and there's no right or wrong way to deal with these things. However, from your personal experience, what is one or two things you might go, do you know what? This is worth exploring. The first and foremost is really embrace it because I felt like if I relate to my gramps because it was a more of a sudden loss um i was actually at work at the time i was in salisbury and there was a bit of complexity around what i had to do to get back to be with my family so i had a a work a work vehicle that i'd driven from trowbridge to salisbury um because we were at five rivers doing a futsal competition with the college and um i had to call my land manager and said mate like I've got a shoe because I've just found out my gramps has passed and he's like oh okay mate no worries he said look just let everyone know there's other members of staff there they can help you get back get your car go straight back home let me know how it is tomorrow and just don't worry about coming in tomorrow just let me know how things are which I was really grateful for because that was really good of, of Dan Racy who was my my manager at the time to do that what a man he is yeah by the way. he is top, what a great what a yeah. great guy one of the funniest guys i've, I've he's met quality. Like, he's, yeah he's hilarious some of his some of his i call him well mum will probably i guess try and patent this quote but little isms that he's got he's such a he used to be my um tutor in college yeah and yeah what a man yeah he's a great he's guy just jokes he's so funny um but also so kind and caring and that sort of gets that sort of gets lost a little bit but because of the character funny character yeah he is. yeah he's, yeah he's but some of the things man. he helped me to get through were just absolutely incredible but that was just a mark of the man that he is and so i'd got home crumbled but i think that was also because i'd saw the devastation in mum and dad and like what that had kind of brought to our life because 
like going back to the song that reminds us of him, the wonder of you, like just him being there just gave us so much positivity, so much happiness. And the fact that he wouldn't be there anymore in person was extremely heartbreaking. I, I don't think that I truly, truly grieved him for the man that meant the world to me probably for about six to seven months because I felt like because I knew the level of devastation that would have caused me if I'd have gone into that I kind of pushed the emotion down slightly which I'm really really sad that I did that because yeah for the for the the man that's had the biggest influence on my life is no longer here and I don't feel like I've but you go into that fight or flight survival mode. Yeah. And that's your natural reaction is to just push it away because your body goes to the self-defense mode of yeah. protect me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not, not saying I didn't grieve at all in that process, but I don't think I delved deeply enough into that grief to truly sort of find a level of comfort on the back of it. Um, I had the honor of writing his eulogy and reading that out and even when I go back and reflect and read through it like just the amazing man that he was like it's yeah I can see it inspires you and oh, fires, it does. fires you up it a does. little bit oh massively massively but that would be my one thing that I would say is to really embrace that grief if it's a specific song if it's a specific um, book or poem or TV series whatever it is and if you've got to go through a process of binge watching or listening to that or whatever it is please do that um because you know i feel like that is a massive thing that sort of it doesn't solve anything related to the grief because i don't think anything truly does but it opens the door for you to embrace that emotion further um it's where uh, the healing begins yeah I'd massively. Say. and i'd say that the first time that i really felt that was sort of between Christmas and New Year, and I was travelling quite a quite a distance back. I oh, know it wasn't sorry; it was pre Christmas. Um, funny enough, before um, the time that I felt the robin sat down on the oh, bench wow. next to me, so maybe that was sort of a little bit of a message that his song was on my twenty twenty three playlist on Spotify. Okay, and it came on, and it shocked me to start off with, and almost like for the first minute of the song, I didn't listen to it. Because I was in shock that it even sort even you're, sort of you're come in on. that fight or flight and yeah yeah straight away. But then I thought, and I I engaged with it, and I I I went back and started it again and listened to it and the floods of tears. Oh, I must have played that on loop for an hour, just because I felt that's obviously something that's opening the door for me to be emotional. So I literally cried all my way to work, thinking that. And it actually helped to kind of relieve some of the pressure that I felt like I was going through at the time, but also helped me to take the time to reflect on him, but also use that as that fuel to then go on and to kind of regain that strength that he, that I needed in my life, but that he gave me as well. And it's quite a, quite a fascinating thing to really embrace really. Cause that's literally perfect. Mm. That saying there is perfect is you have to embrace your emotions to allow you to be strong again. Mm people say you need to be the stoic character where it's like nut up shut up you know you can't break me i'm a man mm. and then people tip over the other side where it's like 
be you know it's okay to not be okay mm. cry all you want be emotional but just sit in your emotion it's like no have that emotion let it out mm. to allow yourself to be strong again don't dwell for three months and cry every day yeah let your emotion out so you can be that stoic person again so be that strong person to go and make a positive impact mm. um yeah i think it's amazing advice for grief and that right there is perfect to finish on for the grief part mm. Going back to the coaching, what what did you learn at Swindon Town in your time there? What were your key takeaway points? Because I want to come to Southampton quite shortly mm. because it's not all doom and gloom with a lot of grief. You've been through a lot of troubled times, but the importance of this episode is all the amazing things you've done off the back of all these troubled times. Mm. And even in your football coaching journey, they've not been easy times by any stretch. Mm. You've not had the resources by any means necessary. You've had a lot of battles to face and battles to fight. And yet you're still every single day going at it, getting at it and trying to make a positive difference and change change the trajectory of the clubs you're at. Mm. So yeah, what did you learn from Swindon Town? What were you taking away from that time? I learned that football is such a beautiful family. And what I mean by that is through my traumas, I realised that the wonderful group of people that I had around me as players and staff helped me massively throughout those difficult times. Um, but also through the celebrations of times, I remember when um, I announced to the group that I was going to be a dad and to go in like the week before Milo was due to be given all these beautiful gifts by all the players and, you know, and, and massive shout out to um, to Mike who, on the behalf of the club, gave us a hamper with all of this wonderful stuff for Myla and what the girls had done to chip in and get us presents and stuff. Like, not that it, not that that's a reason why, but just to know that that's how wonderful football is and celebrating, you know, key landmark moments in people's lives away from football as well as in football. Like, even little things like seeing Alice Bowden get a, a hundred shirt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just wonderful wonderful moments that like that's the reason why we're involved in the game is to see these beautiful moments yeah these beautiful moments and see people sort of triumph or to get recognition for the great things that they've they've done or are achieving um so yeah that's probably the thing one of the things that i learned the most um so we had an incredible group of players yeah at the time we were at Swindon. Yeah. Not only just players, but actual characters. Yeah, absolutely. They all brought something to the table that you could definitely highlight on now and take away. Yeah. And say, this person was like this, this person was like that. Mm. And it was all positivity. Absolutely. And um, even through the times where, you know, backs were against the wall. It was a transition phase. You didn't have too many resources and you're almost starting from scratch. Mm. And to continue to have the characters that stay with you through the nit and gritty. Mm just amazing people yeah absolutely and it's funny because um i had seen um an instagram story from jen gray the other day right and she was all what a character yeah what a great character yeah absolutely (laughs) um and she was sort of dressed up for this this occasion she was going to had the old wig on and stuff yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so i I was like that's typical jen (laughs) i sent her her a message and um she went oh don't worry i'm with the girls as well so she was with ellie and meg larkin yeah and um got a picture of the three of them together which was lovely but then that that took me straight back to remember the lockdown season when we did the quiz at christmas oh yeah yeah that was Um, awesome that uh and they did um (laughs) because 
just for the listeners, Ellie and Jen were um, living together at the time and uh, they were literally like the, sh- the social secretaries of the club really and any sort of events that we did, they were kind of at the heart of that. And uh, they did some funny quizzes, but they also did like some role play parts. Do you remember, Ad? I do, when, yeah, yeah. When they did like recreation of the Titanic and it was, oh, just, I think they must have done like, I might just be imagining it like the amount that it was again, but I'm sure it was like 10 films that they had done like these recreations for. And watching those two together was absolutely hilarious. But when it comes to like the amount of friendships and closeness that our time at the club has brought to these people. So forget football. Those are some of my biggest accomplishments, seeing people come together and be really close and even now seeing the group that are still there and they're still close and um you know ones that have maybe gone on to different ventures are still close you and can still see they're still linked together aren't they? yeah massively and, and, and they're two of the biggest successes and even now i mean i've not been part of swimming for a couple of years now and i still have the players message me now the mm. most like kindest things ever yeah and absolutely. it just goes to show the connections that we sort of made and had and when it comes to like on the pitch stuff like winning the county cup was obviously um a nice positive to be able to have but i think the fact that we were sort of seen as down and out managing to find our way through and to be able to build on well there wasn't unfortunately a lot there at the time like so ultimately to provide a sort of foundation and like I'm so chuffed that it was sort of left into the hands of Lally and KP afterwards but obviously devastated that you know arguably just my opinion probably weren't treated as fairly as they should have with the time and the grace and the respect that they should have been given to, you know, didn't get the chance. No, the opportunity. And you could see how you could see how positive their influence was with being able to take it from what it was and make it their own and take it onto the next level. And because the way I see it, that your time there was a sort of that base, you built this really strong base for them to go and take it and go be successful with what you created. Yeah, absolutely. Because Lally is, like the Bielsa, the Guardiola of this world. Mm. The brain works differently. And KP is that magic man who knows how to get the best out of people. He's mm. that people person. Yeah. So you created that foundation for them to go and do something. Mm. And just as they were getting to their sort of, not pinnacle, but they were really trajectory and mm. really high. Mm. And then it's just done. Yeah. So the, the other thing about KP that, that I valued so much from our time working together was his inept detail around tactical nuances so like the simple things that might not be seen he'd go that's it and he'd see it and he'd say it and ultimately that would be the game changer so his tactical awareness and understanding is frighteningly good um especially when we talk about in the heat of battle like yeah something that i learned a lot from so helped me massively with like the observational tools that i required as a manager to kind of pinpoint key stages of games and how that could be turned on its head so yeah both of them as well as i'd like to think that mine and kp's time together both were so attuned on the basis of the consistent figure which was kp like you were always on the same wavelength i've never seen two people work Mm. like so 
hand in hand pretty mm. much it's almost like you had identical twins working together with yeah. you two but ultimately he wasn't then afraid to tell me in a kind respectful way if he didn't think it would work it's that self-accountability it then. is massively but also the the kind of i don't know the trust to be able to know that he had that conversation with me and i hope that he always felt like it was taken at face value always sort of appreciated and valued and we'd either discuss it or we'd either agree from one side or agree from another side but being able to have disagreements without it being arguments yeah absolutely but that's what a good team needs isn't it and it's you know and I'm, I'm very blessed that you know moving on to my journey now like i'm very blessed i've got lauren cheshire and matt graves steve carrison all those amazing people by my side that offer the same sort of skill set from different perspectives so yeah, like they're the things that I'm so grateful for and I've got hopefully friends for life. Um, Absolutely. You know, seeing Lally do really well at Cheltenham Town Reserves, you know, on the back of a difficult time at Swindon, like, you know, you can never keep a good man down f for too long. Like he'll, he's bounced back and doing really well and it'll, it'll be a matter of time before he gets another decent job. So no doubt at all. Yeah, so absolutely. Your, your time at Southampton? Yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, It almost seems to be that like either like in, in a loose kind of tongue-in-cheek sort of way. Does it like, feel like deja vu almost? A little, a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Either it's that I, I attract an element of... Mr. Transition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. And again, like Smithy having been there for so long and done such an amazing job, like, you know, when I randomly got a phone call from him and he was like, oh, mate, I've got a job for you. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I'd love to work with you. He's like, no, 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 I want you to have my job. I'm like, what? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, why? Um, and obviously he then explained for his reasons and that's obviously a conversation between me and himself. Um, but then said that obviously he'll put my name forward to the committee and met with them and had the, the pleasure of, you know, being appointed the manager um, of such a fantastic club. So, you know, ultimately like... Yeah, that was a bit of a, a whirlwind moment in itself. But yeah, I'd say that there are similar sort of feelings and vibes to it, different sort of challenges that have been posed. But again, like if it's easy, it's not worth doing. So I'd rather face a challenge and, you know, know what we've got collectively to get through it, knowing that we'll be so grateful for it when we get through the other side. Does it feel like round two again almost then? A little bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, but you've been there, you've done it, you've got the proof. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just patience. It is patience. Time. It's, yeah, resilience, patience. And again, like, important to emphasise the we, not me, in this. And it's all of us on our journey together. And something that we at the Sirens are really proud of is we're family orientated. We do literally try and make sure that everyone feels valued and respected. Um, but also we've gone through stages where it's kind of holding people to account. It's having those difficult conversations. Um, and knowing that they're not personal, they're not intended to hurt, they're not intended to um, cause an element of upset, they're hopefully about speaking as much truth as possible and hopefully trying to give some element of direction. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in mum again is a massive advocate for the reason why i believe this is but you can you could deal with the truth like you've got a starting point if you've got the truth so ultimately why would you want to be dishonest to someone or hide any intentions of what you might have 
like there's no ulterior motives there's always a case of ultimately what's best for the badge and the you know paying homage to the heritage of the club and kind of continuing with its legacy so what do i need to do as first team manager to kind of drive that well it's kind of live and breathe the values of the club and kind of kind of build on the great work that's been done previously but also mold it into something that i think is hopefully going to be the, like the last and blueprint of the club really so yeah that's essentially what i'm kind of reflecting on the time from july to now and this is like with anything in life you have to have uncomfortable conversations mm. and if you aren't ready to face them then you aren't ready to move forward yeah and it's not come from a place of disrespect or bad intentions it's come from a place of love and a mm. place of care yeah that you're having these conversations mm. and i think it's being able to have disagreements but not being disrespectful yeah i think that's a barrier where it crosses over into that disrespect almost yeah absolutely and ultimately you know in previous roles i've had i have had conversations with players where you turn around and go well this maybe isn't the right environment for you um maybe better off going and finding opportunities elsewhere um because again that's okay if if an individual or a group of players or whatever are on a different sort of path to where the club is at and if that's me that's sort of responsible for aligning where that journey goes to that that's okay that's not a problem at all it's just you go and find what's right by you then and we'll continue on what we're trying to do which is for the what we deem is the best for the club so yeah ultimately like yeah difficult conversations to be had but yeah like you said never any level of disrespect or um anything that's meant to be hurtful hopefully led by truth um obviously opinion because a lot of it is subjective um, football is all opinions yeah of course it is that's all it is yeah of course it is. so one thing that i realized very quickly and something that's come into my hand almost i think something to someone and someone else will disagree with me straight away mm. and that's all right it yeah. is what it is yeah definitely i mean some people are wrong but let's not go into that yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. but talk about the women's game what is it about the women's game that sort of attracts you to coach more in that environment? It's a great question because I feel like at the moment I'm sort of, what would it be, five years away from the men's game. Um, and I've got no problems with the men's game because I've had some amazing experiences, met some wonderful people Um you know, but ultimately I feel like in terms of perhaps the type of person I am, perhaps like the people that I enjoy working with and around tend to be orientated around the women's game. Um, I love working with female players because they're curious, they're, they're dedicated, they're passionate um, and again, people will say that that's transferable and translatable across to the men's game. But until people have delved into what the women's game has to offer, then you won't truly know how amazing the game is. And, you know, if it's just if people have a snapshot of what England women's team achieved in, you know, the World Cup, like that's only a snapshot, you know, winning the Euros before, again, only a snapshot. It's but diff- amazing achievements, game. of course it is. It's a different game. It's a different perspective 
you can't just come from a men's game and come into the women's and expect to be successful just because you've been successful in the men's. Yeah. You've got to treat it as a completely different sport almost. Yeah, absolutely. In some sense, because again, everyone's individual. You've got to treat people differently. Yeah, absolutely. And like when we relate this to, and again, like the men's game and we're looking at kind of people talking about Gareth Southgate's reign, you know, the fact that Serena Wiegmann's been kind of pushed forward as one of the leading candidates to take over like whether that's just the press or bookmakers you know trying to i mean i'd snap a finger at it right now yeah. easily and having a, i'm blessed to have bumped into her into a corridor at st george's park and have like a a brief couple of minute conversation with her but you know and i listened to sorry to plug another podcast but the high performance podcast and Love it. heard um heard her um interview that she had with jake and damien and like Oh, just a true level of authenticity of the woman and like she really speaks from the heart and she's like such a wonderfully kind person like I, it's funny because I opened I, I bumped into her like coming out of um I was coming out of the hotel part yeah and she was coming out of the like the England club part which is where like the players have their social kind of time like table yeah, tennis yeah. and stuff um and obviously there was a bit of a you know, starstruck moment to an extent because I wasn't expecting to see her. So, you know, nice greeting, opened the door for her, had a chat walking down the stairs, stopped in the corridor in the lobby before she was going off to have a team meeting. I was off to have breakfast and stuff like just that little snapshot, like just a true insight to how amazing she is as a, as a, as a woman and as a, as a manager, like, yeah, such an amazing sort of experience to be able to have that. But that says a lot and like emma hayes has been you know she's quality as well. uh, she's so yeah. good but like being linked with jobs in the men's game as well and like i love the fact that she stood her ground and said why would i go and take the top job in women's football to go to a lower level job in the men's game because people perceive the men's game to be better i think I it's mean, like she's it, linked with like wimbledon league yeah, one or wimbledon, something like that yeah. and she's like why would i go to league one when i'm in the like Premier League for women. Yeah. Makes exactly. zero sense at Chelsea. Exactly. And ultimately when you look at like before Serena came in as England manager, I was sort of tipping her to be the next next England manager, Emma Hayes, because of just her character, because of her charisma, because of how know, she her holds experiences, herself as well. what she's achieved, yeah, her values, everything. Like Chelsea been such a success and dominant force in the women's game for so long. That's credit to Emma Hayes and you know longevity. what she brings as a person and yeah longevity and also like her mind as a tactician like yeah so much to be said about it so yeah i don't know if i've done the women's game enough justice but i'm incredibly proud to be involved in women's football and to have managed both at swindon town my boyhood club and also such an amazing club you know a club that's won the fa cup seven times you know it's it's an amazing privilege to be able to say that a manager of of this great club what challenges do you think the game still faces the stigma around um people that are fans of football see women's football as completely different so i understand that there are differences but celebrate those differences like why are we trying to kind of i don't know discredit and disregard what the amazing sport has to offer 
you know, celebrate for what it is. People were quite happy to jump on the bandwagon when England are doing well in the women's game and you're like, all right, that's fine, but have you been there through the depths of it when there's been no money, when there's been difficulties with this? And you Which know, even I, I, still at national level, there's still no money about in certain places and money's starting to come in in other places and it's amazing to see the different values of certain individuals and clubs and the way they hold themselves as to what you know facilities they've got and how much money they've got. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it only goes to growing. show... Yeah, exactly. It goes to show with like the amount of funding that's been plugged into the FA Cup, like, you know, I'm very proud to say that we got to the third round of the FA Cup this year. And when you took like, the prize money, that was 27 grand that the players and the staff have earned for the football club, you know, and that's... It goes a long way, It goes it? a long way. It's an amazing achievement. And I couldn't have been prouder of of everyone involved in the club for getting us to that point. Um, you know, when you look at what the continuation of that journey might have looked like, you know, Watford went and played Arsenal. You know, if if things have been different on the day, you know, that could have been potentially us. Like it's all hindsight, of course. And you know still nice to think though. Yeah, it is definitely going and playing at Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy experience. Absolutely. But you know, even having Watford come to us was an amazing opportunity for, you know, for us as a group of staff and the players to be able to go toe to toe with the championship the, level yeah club. championship level yeah. yeah and you've got like Gemma Davidson ex-England and Chelsea player like coming and playing at Test Park and she comes on at half time takes the ball touch out of her feet whips it in the back post from about 40-50 yards and they <laughs> score the second goal and you're like ah that's... easy as that <laughs> well yeah but, it, but it's a highlight in the difference in quality like yeah. you know like and it's no disrespect to kind of where we're at because we're at where we're at but when they're bringing like players top, been top, the top, top players yeah. off the off the bench and they're having an impact and with the greatest of respect like having to do that against us at this point like because it was one or half time like we, to you, yeah. yeah we went one nil up and like what an amazing achievement and wow that moment when brits kind of turned a player just outside the box and wrapped around the goalkeeper um you know probably one of the single best moments i've had as a manager in a moment in a game um so yeah, like when you look at things like that and what we have achieved already, it's like it's so exciting to think what we've done. Of course, we've got so far to go. Um, Enjoy the little wins though on the way. Oh yeah, massively because they stack up. Yeah, massively. But there are there is an element of pressure on us at the moment. But yeah, of course, that's that's okay. Like we're all in this for the same cause, and we hope to get the outcome that we want out of it. Is there anything you believe would be the catalyst to get the women's game to? Don't want to compare it, but to a similar level of the men's game with the funding the television broadcasting um i think they're taking real positive strides for that now and i think it is always going to be difficult because of the level of marketing and finance that is involved in the men's game and that's globally that's across various different competitions like you know that is going to be of course a challenge but let's let's fight our own fight let's try and win our own race and let's do what's right by women's football and you know Gratefully, the FA are starting to, you know, and even the respective leagues on the back of that are trying to take positive steps for that. And like Adobe stepping in at short notice and becoming the sponsor for the FA Cup and increasing the amount of FA Cup prize money for each round was absolutely immense. And like, it's only things like that that are going to keep helping the kind of the game at its own entity. Because you, you look at winning the FA Cup a few years ago, you look at the prize pool and you'd be like, is that it? Yeah. And now you look at it and you're like, okay, that's significantly... A lot more respectful. Yeah. Still a long way to go, of, of course. course. But ultimately, like, Rome wasn't built in a day. No. So when we look at it from 
a potential growth of the game that's what kind of the world outside of the game itself needs to do to help the game to get to that level but the level is increasing all the time some of the talented young players that are coming through the systems the growth in the game is massive like the rise in emerging talent centers and you know advanced coaching centers and everything that's associated to that like the women's professional game and professional girls academy setup is incredible like it's so kind of positive that it's going on such an upward trajectory but they sort of need to go hand in hand because normally like you see it with like kind of a growth from one area and like it holding back in another means that it you know previously has stunted the growth of the game but yeah i think now it's at a perfect time and place to kind of maximize this potential and i think a lot of that's to be grateful for the women's national team and what they've achieved and the players and the staff that have inspired the nation and you know i'm so grateful being involved in that so you started the podcast out by talking about your daughter Mm -hmm. let's almost finish it highs and lows of parenthood what's it been like for you what's parenthood done for you how have you had to adapt to become a father? Um, oh, it's, a, it's a great question and a great series of questions. Um, it's hard because no matter what words you try and say, it never does enough justice for the feeling you've got in your heart. Um, she's made my life. Like, ultimately, like, A, I can't imagine life without her now because I wake up, I dream, you know, I have busy moments in my day I have quiet moments in my day and the daughter my, my daughter Myla is always at the forefront of my mind like you know it's it's a really really beautiful thing um I only get kind of snapshots of time with her at the moment in comparison um but oh like yeah incredibly proud to be to be her daddy and like what has it done for me taken the shine off me a little bit in a positive way because I don't have any real time to think of myself I've always got to try and think of my daughter and and sort of the things that she needs and what I need to do for her to give her the best life possible um of course some of that does kind of lead back to me like I said about my inspiration for wanting to go and be the best is for my daughter um but yeah oh, I don't know so many different ways like she's helped me truly appreciate what love is like my mum had said to me you will never know what true love is until you look at that child in the eyes for the very first time and yeah fighting back the tears at the time then sort of doing that now with every time I look into those eyes like this beautiful bright blue eyes like like it's, it takes me back to that moment, but also makes me like, yeah, so proud of of the little girl that I've helped to create. And, you know, I really can't wait. She's flourishing already, but I can't wait to see her go from strength to strength and be an amazing little human. Daddy's always going to be proud of her. It's amazing to hear you talk about her in that light and in that fashion. Mm. It's really awe-inspiring. Yeah. What sort of aspirations have you got for your daughter, Myla? All I want is for her to be happy and healthy. Like, it... You know, any parent will always say, all I want is for my child to be happy and healthy and to do what she loves, to follow her dreams. Like, oh, she's going through a stage at the moment where she's talking about dragons and she's like, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So, like, just seeing that little imagination and her curiosity and she's such a little explorer and, 
yeah, all that sort of stuff. I don't ever want that to change. So Milo, if you listen to this in however many years time, don't ever steer off your path. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve and I'll always be proud of you. It's an amazing answer because some people go for the material things, a career path, et cetera, et cetera. But actually having the healthiest and most fullest life is the most important. Yeah. And hopefully I can be by her side along every step of the way. That's what I'm looking forward to. Seeing her, all of her success, all of her successes, anytime she is, you know, falling to her knees for a setback and I'll be there to pick her up. Like, yeah, like no matter what she wants to do or what she achieves or doesn't achieve, I'll always be there and proud of her. Amazing. Some questions just to finish off the podcast. Would you change what you've been through? No, absolutely not. Um, These difficult things are sent to test us and to challenge us, but ultimately they help you to, you know, follow the course of direction that you're supposed to follow, like, you know, and give you that direction that you need. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. What are you most proud of so far in your life? Being a dad. Simple as that? Non-negotiable. The best moment that, without getting welled up again, <laughs> was holding my daughter in my arms for the very first time. Like, the single greatest achievement of my life and nothing will ever be it is my daughter it's yeah i'll get a bit emotional now sorry but no sorry it's, oh, it's no, amazing it's, it's amazing to see it in your expression yeah she's my absolute everything what are your hopes and dreams for the future i imagine it's going to link into the question i just asked you but yeah so again seeing myla grow to be well continue to be the most beautiful little human being possible um helping her to be happy and healthy, helping her to achieve her goals and see her achieve her goals. Um, you know, if I do kind of turn it back and relate it to my journey a little bit more because my journey is now extended because of Myla, but yeah, I hope that I can make her a daddy to be proud of. Like, you know, um, yeah, when she looks back at all the times that I've been like with her and enjoying all those moments, but the times where she may have seen me working or, you know, whatever, and eventually come to games and be wearing the kit and enjoying the moments and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, she's still a little bit too young for all that at the moment, if I'm honest, but, um, you know, to do that too consistently, but yeah, like when she gets to a stage and she can turn and go, Oh, my daddy's manager, Southampton women, like, you know, all that sort of stuff, like in such an amazing, yeah, all feeling. those sort of things, like in, you know just yeah again just to be a dad like yeah if you could leave one piece of advice for the younger generation and the rest of the world what would it be i'm gonna leave it with a quote from dr seuss nice you are you and you that's true and true no one else can be more you than you for me it's your journey all the highs all the lows embrace every moment you can be curious go and live the best life possible for you and the people around you because ultimately that's what this is about we've only got one chance in life just give it everything you've got and finally what's your definition of an able lifestyle oh it's a great question i think it's got to be based around on who you are as a person and that is kindness love determination honesty all of those things emphasize who you are as a person mate and 
I know we've had some right heart to hearts on the phone and on texts and WhatsApps and stuff, but yeah, I'm incredibly proud of you and what you've achieved and, you know, what direction you're going in and through all your adversity and you still come out and you're still you. Obviously, there's a stronger burning desire to be even to be even better than what you are, but that's just you. So yeah, if anyone's wanting to live a label lifestyle, I'd follow those core values and you won't go won't go far wrong in life. That means a world to hear that from you, Jamie. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for this conversation. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people and inspire a lot of people. So thank you for that. My pleasure and thank you for listening, everyone.